Amen. Turn to two or three people and say, you look good today. I'm glad you're here. Glad to see you. And you can be seated right there after. Thanks, worship team. That was awesome. That was great. I was, uh, <laughs> I was uh, standing over there, and Dina was rocking it, and uh, one of the young adults leaned over and says, I love it when your wife gets passionate. I'm like, me too, you know. <laughs> That's a, <laughs> we were probably talking about two different things, but I, it, was, it, was, it was awesome to see just, you know, you guys being led today. How many of you guys know that if you follow a spirit-led leader, you'll arrive where the spirit wants us to go? One of the purposes of corporate worship is that we'd all arrive, not just individual revelations or individual moments, but corporate moments. Moments we can look back on, like maybe youth camp or, you know, the vacation Bible school you got saved at when you were six or whatever. But those moments where together, you know, the things that God does, when he does them for individuals, they're beautiful, they're powerful, they're incredible. When he does something for us, for a corporate body, it has the tendency of, of kind of being almost like a memorial. Uh, it can be taken the wrong way. Remember the good old days? How many of you guys know the best days of the church are in front of us, not behind us? We should be looking forward to the good old days. But there's still those moments like where God did this during the season of the song. So live stream audience, good to see you this morning. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, my name's Pastor Jim. Unless you don't like the sermon, then my name is Jeff Waltz. And you're welcome to uh, send me an email at jeffwaltz.com. Blah, blah, blah. Amen. Um, I want to remind you that core and commitment class continues tonight. Uh, be praying for Pastor Kim and Judy Sevier. They help teach. Matt McKinnon has been in Germany uh, for a month with GM doing the Corvette racing thing. And so Pastor Kim and Judy have been helping me teach this class. Usually it's three of us. It's down to two. Judy's uh, father passed away. And they literally came back. They're landing at 3 o'clock in Detroit so they can teach the class tonight at 630. So, uh, so I will be there Pastor Kim and Judy will be there, and we know that God's got something special for everybody. If you don't know what that is, if you're new to the church, you don't quite know who we are, what we believe, where we're going, or who you're sitting next to, that's the environment for you. Child care, child ministry is available. Starts at 6.30 tonight. Do not be confused and come into the youth room. You say, man, the, the new members are really young here. They were in the, the kids' auditorium. So let's review last week. How many of you guys survived Snowmageddon, but you have hope that maybe the winter of 2017-18 is now behind us? I lived in Michigan long enough not to cheer for the Lions too soon and not to believe that a 70-degree day in April means that, that uh, summer is here, spring is here. But I'm, I'm hopeful. So last week, remember uh, we said last week Jesus was talking to his disciples. He's about at the end of his earthly ministry, getting ready to face the cross and die for our sins, defeat death, hell, and the grave, be resurrected to the right hand of the Father where he's ever making intercession, where he's calling out our name before God every day. And before he goes, he's going to establish the bedrock, literally the rock of the church. And so he says to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And so Peter says, well, some say this and some say that. And Andrew said, you know, I've heard this theory. And John said, you know, some people believe this, but I don't know. And he said, well, who do you, who do you say I am? And Peter just blurts it out. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he goes, blessed are you, Peter, son of Jonas, because this wasn't revealed to you by man. It wasn't like something you were taught in Sunday school. It's not a doctrine or a tenet of faith. This was a revelation. And on this revelation, I say for you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the, the realm of the dead, all things dead, all things cursed, all things in decay, will not overcome the life of the living God as expressed through the people that know that Jesus is the Messiah. Are you guys still here? It's beautiful, man. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful moment in human history, not just in church literature, but in human history where Jesus says the Father, the, in his voice, is now being heard by the ear of fishermen. 
and the revelation of who I am and what that means to the world. For God so loved the world that he sent me to die for you, that you could live forever. Like that, that revelation is now made known by God himself. The Father himself revealed this to you. And I tell you that you are Peter. You're Petros. You're, you're a rock. You're a stone. And upon this rock, Petra, this, this boulder, this mammoth bedrock, I will build my church. You're a little rock, but I'm the rock, the giant rock of the revelation of who I am. I'm going to build my church. Now, we talked last week about two words, the ecclesia and the church and just church history for, for some people. I love it. I love all history, especially if there's guns and knives and swords involved. I don't know why. It's just the most real of human history is warfare. And I, and I think this is no less warfare than any other war that humanity will ever fight. The word ecclesia, when Jesus says, I will build my church, is the word ecclesia. Everybody say it with me. It's the ecclesia. Gesundheit. The ecclesia is, is a, it literally means if I said, okay, everybody in this section, now everybody in this section, don't do this, but everybody in this section, everybody stand up, come up on the platform and stand right here with me. That gathering would be called an ecclesia. It's, it's someone said, hey, everybody in the back, would you move forward and come right here and stand with me? It's, it's when people are called out of some place they were to some place new, and they respond by faith, through obedience. When they hear that voice, they say, I'm responding, and they follow. They take their free will, and they choose to obey the voice that is calling them. That is known as an ecclesia. Now, as the, the Bible kind of continues, it's canonized. In other words, we're, we consider these sacred. There's different councils of, you know, we'll get into that this summer. We're going to spend a summer talking about biblical literacy and a biblical worldview. This summer is going to be awesome. I'm very excited about it. And hopefully you guys will learn, like, the Bible's hard. You'll, by the end of the summer, you'll say, it's not hard. It's impossible, but it's glorious. It's amazing, and we're going to dig into it. So, but the, when they get to the Martin Luther, the Reformation, about 500 years ago, 1,500 years after the birth of Christ, they're, they're now beginning to translate commonly the Scriptures into Latin, which would be the Vulgate, the Septuagint, the, the different versions, different languages uh, from the original Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And one of the languages it comes to is German. Now, it is a little unfortunate, and yet historically true, so let's, let's not hide it, that when it comes time to translate the word ecclesia, those who translated it into the Germanic said that they used the word kirch. Now, we get our modern word, anybody guess the word we get today from kirch? It's church, right? I will build my church. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he did not mean he would build the kirch, because that's not the word that was used, not even the word that was invented yet. He said, I will build my ecclesia. Those who are from there, I called them with their free will, obeyed my voice, and came from where they were to where I am. That's the ecclesia. But the word kirch is so steeped in the place, the time, the professional clergy, the certain song, the certain rhythm, the certain pattern of being, certain offerings, certain sacrifices, certain traditions. 1,500 years of trying to do what they saw God do back 1,500 years ago, by the time they get to the days of Martin Luther, the reason there's a reformation is because what was formed needed to be reformed. It had to be. I don't know if you guys, you know, aware of this, and this is, this is nothing anti-Catholic or pro-Protestant or anything else. It's simply church history. But one of the things that really got underneath Martin Luther's skin was they developed uh, a pre-forgiven sin called an indulgence. If you give a certain amount of money to build a certain religious building, then uh, we will forgive you in advance. You'll be exonerated before you even commit the sin. So you know, if you want to buy the sin of adultery, then you can do that with a certain amount of money. You want to hate your neighbor for a week or two and get away with it and not be in touch with God, then, then you can buy that in advance. And so people gave money money. Okay, now I can cheat and I can go over here. Now I can steal and I can lie. And Martin Luther looked at that and said, this is terrible. What have we become? 
How, how did we ever get here? And so he tacks up his, his reforms. The Reformation has begun. He goes, I'm done with this. It is by grace through faith that man is saved alone. It's not by works. It's not by the forgiveness of mankind. It's not by the repetition of prayers. There is a unique and beautiful personal relationship that can be had with God. How many of you are glad for courageous men through the years that do this kind of stuff? So he tacks them up. So when they translate the word ecclesia, what they're talking about, unfortunately, and it carries on through English translations, it's translated the word church. But hear me, the institutions created 1,500, later, 1500 years later looked nothing, this is really loud today, isn't it? Looked nothing like the original ecclesia that God had called. And why is this important? It's very simple. It's because 2,000 years later, man, Jesus promises to build something, and many people settle for going to church and they fail to become the ecclesia. Are you here? There's something so much more than church attendance. There's something so much more than checking the box because I did my devotion today. Something so much more than church attendance and participating and, you know, going out along with, with the cultural traditions of an ecclesiastical organization, but missing the ecclesia. Now, when Jesus says church, he means a people that belong to him. Amen? Simple, right? He means a people that have chosen to belong to one another. We talked about this last week. But he means a people that belong to a lost world. So if we, if I, if when we belong to God, to each other in the world, our lives become very different than what they were prior to coming out of into. Are you still here? I want to say that again because I make sure you get this. Just because we go to church does not mean we are born again. Just because we have the tradition of going to a place at a time to do a thing, to sing a song, and it even feels good in our heart, does not mean we have had an ecclesiastical experience where we heard the voice of God, where we know who he is, and we declare, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And I want you to understand this, because many will stand before the Lord. Matthew chapter 7 says this. Many will come to me on that day, and they'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we do all these wonderful things in your name? I mean, we cast out demons. We healed the sick. We, we were regular. We had power. And, and you're saying, he said, listen, the issue is not your resume of works. The issue is I never knew you. Guys, at the end of this, what's really important is not what we did. It's why we did it. It's, it's, it's not where we go. It's who we know. And so I want to just stop. And we're going to take a look at last week, this week, and the next two weeks. Like, are we sure? Are you sure? Are, do we have all the symptoms of ecclesia? If not, what can we do with our free will to move to the voice that is calling us into, calling us forward, calling us out of? Most would assume that I'm talking about morality at this point. Aha, she wants me to quit smoking. I, can I say for the millionth time, smoking will not keep you out of heaven. It'll actually get you there about 20 years sooner. He's talking about taking care of my body. He's talking about tithing. He's talking, this is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about morality, and this is going to catch you by surprise. I almost guarantee you the next word will be on that screen. You'll be like, I wasn't expecting that. I'm not talking about morality. Here's the counterintuitive thing. How many of you know the upside-down kingdom of God? If you want to receive, what do you have to do? You gotta, if you want friends, you've got to show yourself to be... Like, it's all seeds and sowing. It's, it's, not, it's, it's very different. But here's the word. You ready? It's the word responsibility. And I'm going to show you in the next 10 minutes or so why that word is more important than you probably knew before you walked in this building today. Responsibility has gotten a bad rap in a very irresponsible age. It, it feels like weight. <laughs> it, it feels like chores. It feels like bills. I have the responsibility. I just want to be what? 
free from responsibility. Well, can I tell you guys something? Responsibility is not a burden. It's not slavery. Responsibility is to the believer what capital is to the businessman. Responsibility is to you what, what seeds are to a farmer. Responsibility is to us what sheep are to a shepherd. You don't want less responsibility in the kingdom. You actually want more responsibility. You want to take responsibility for yourself. You want to take and assume responsibility for your family. You want to assume responsibility for the ecclesia. You want to assume responsibility for a lost world. And I'll tell you why. The greatest thing that you will ever experience, and I can make that plural, the greatest things you will ever experience do not come from the cheap, temporary, terminal thrills of this world. They come from the long, dirty, difficult disciplines of love and following Jesus and being a part of something greater than yourself. When we look at responsibility, we can't say, oh, you know, God wants me to do what? It's so hard. God wants me to love who? Does he even know that person? I mean, the devil made that person. There's no way he could want me to, to love that person. Listen, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says we're God's workmanship, and we're created in Christ Jesus to do, everybody say to do, ergos, to do good works God prepared, past tense, in advance for us to do. God did not make you and then try to find something for you to do. There was something to be done, and God created you for it. And unless you know that, unless you embrace that, you will chase this, this worldly stupidity called freedom. I will never get married because I want to be. I will never have children because I just want to. I will never have a real job. I will never, what I want is a four-hour work week so I can be free. Let me tell you something. The greatest joys in life are on the other side of the most difficult responsibilities there are. If you don't believe that, then you're not a grandparent. <laughs> husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5. That ain't easy. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's a commitment. That's a responsibility, Ephesians 5. It's not easy. Parents, train up your children. Children, respect your parents, Ephesians 6. Church, love each other, John chapters 13, 14, 15. Stay in unity. Matthew 28, the great commission. Deuteronomy 6, the greatest commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Guys, these are consuming, heavy, beautiful, weighty responsibilities. And if we miss taking those responsibilities, we will live our lives in pursuing a lie that at the end of our lives will prove to have been the most ridiculous, foolish thing we've ever done. I cannot tell you the number of times I have held people's hands while they die and performed their funerals and talked to their families afterwards. I'm telling you something. People who assumed responsibility for their families have far less regrets in a very long life than people who ignored their responsibilities. As a matter of fact, let's, let's just do this. You were created to take responsibility. Listen, if, if that's true, that's true. Let me say it again. If that, that's, oh, I'm sorry. If that's true, and is that true? Then that's true. We are created to take responsibility. Since the Garden of Eden, God didn't say, now, hey, I'm going to create you and everybody walk around naked and be free. He didn't say that. There was the naked part, but we know what happened to that. There's the freedom part. He did not give them freedom. He gave them responsibility. And the responsibility was a blessing. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Write it down. And the Lord blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, God said, get out a big piece of paper and write down your responsibilities. You ready? Everything, everywhere, everyone. Go have fun. Now, is that a burden or is that a blessing? Are you guys here today? And the Lord burdened them. 
and said, fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth. You know how much intimacy you're going to have to have as husband and wife to fill the earth? It's such a drag. You're just asking too much. I, I, can, we, can we talk about tithing? Just anything, please, right? And subdue it. He gave Adam and Eve the heart to mine the mountains and, and fall the trees and make timber, to cross the oceans, to learn to live in the deserts, to swim to the bottom of the seas. He gave in them. He, it was a blessing that he gave them great responsibility. And the Lord blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the entire earth. 25,000 miles that way, 25,000 miles that way, 25,000 miles that way. Fill the earth and subdue it. On your mark, get set, rest. Day seven, day eight, go. You understand what I'm saying? Are you guys here? And you may say, my responsibilities don't feel very good. I get that. But maybe we're taking responsibility for things that aren't our responsibility. And maybe we're ignoring responsibilities that lead us in directions that lighten the load and make the burden of responsibility the blessing of responsibility. Are you still here? The most fulfilling thing you can do is to take responsibility for the things, the people, the gifts that God puts in your life. So let's let's just play a game. You ready? It's called Who's Happier? Tell them what they've won, Bob. Okay, here we go. Who's Happier? Is it the person, the responsible farmer, or the irresponsible farmer? Anybody help me out? This is hard. It's a trick question. Who's, who's happier, the guy that sleeps during planting season or the guy that works during planting season? Right? This is simple. Who's, who's happier, the responsible husband or wife or the irresponsible one? <laughs> Guess what? I spent all of our savings on a new toy. Oh, I love you. I, I hope to marry a man someday that was that irresponsible with our money. It said no woman ever. said no man ever, right? Who's happier, the responsible or the irresponsible? Who's happier, the responsible friend or the irresponsible friend? The one who calls you because they felt that leading in their heart to call you or the one that ignores that leading and finds out later on you should have called? The one that takes the time or the one that doesn't take the time, right? Who's happier, the responsible follower of Christ or the irresponsible follower of Christ, right? So let's, let's just broad brush stroke this. What are we really responsible for? I think maybe the greatest broad brush answer is Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. As we pray, Jesus is teaching them on prayer. And he says, let your kingdom, let your will be done on as it is in, okay. And what he's saying is, like, I think the broadest brush stroke is, listen, we come back to that original mandate that 25,000 miles in every direction is an earth that needs to be filled with the godliness of heaven. It needs to be filled, people that are filled with the Spirit, people that are filled with heavenly dreams, people that, that have an ambition, but it's not a carnal ambition, it's a, it's a kingdom ambition. People that, that love their wives, people that, that submit to their husbands, people that raise their children in the fear of the admonition of the Lord, children that respect their parents, the, the culture that is so lacking today and it's causing so much trouble. Guys, we will never hire enough police or build enough jails to make laws, uh, to make people moral because of laws. It has to happen on the inside of us. It has to be a transformational act where we ascend to believe that there's something greater than the selfish life that I can live right now by making all of you my victim. Where by coming your servant, I can live a better life than you by pretending I'm your master. Are you still here? So could you be more specific? Yes, yes, here we go. You ready? You're responsible to love God. Write this down. If you're taking notes today or in your heart, tattoo it in Latin on your arm. You are responsible to love. There are certain tattoos that people will regret in heaven. If Jesus' scars remained after his resurrection, some of the stuff on your bod may still be there. There was a man who got born again in Three Rivers. He was a, um, uh, had a pretty rough life. 
Yeah, but he got born again. He had this, this tattoo of um, uh, an image of a female that should not have been on any man's arm in church. And they, he was encouraged to become a part of something, and so he became an usher and handed the basket. <laughs> so some of the, the good church people complained to you know, Pastor Paul and said, hey, um, you know, it's, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, but fighting you know, the urge to look at pornographic images during the offering is probably something I shouldn't have to do here. And so Pastor Paul went to the man and said, listen, how many guys know that's a dilemma? Like, you're, you're fired from the usher's ministry, but he's born again. But his arm isn't. His arm is very much unsaved. Very much Garden of Eden happening there, right? And, and he goes, listen, um, I, I want you to put some clothes on, on your tattoo. So he goes to the tattoo parlor, drops 100 bucks, and they put some clothes. Well, it's a mini skirt and a push-up bra. So it was a little, he should have been more specific. So, that, so, again, dilemma, right? What do you say? He reached into the you know, pastor. Never mind. doesn't matter who it is or where it is. But whoever this story is about reached into the offering bag, pulled out a $100 bill, and said, go buy that nice lady a dress. <laughs> Came back the next week. She was covered from head to toe. Had an organ playing with a hymnal in her hand. You know what I mean? Just, and I, I'm telling you, there, there are certain tattoos you don't necessarily want to put on your body. But I think love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is something I wouldn't mind looking at for all eternity. Now, you may have your opinion about tattoos. But I'm saying if you're going to get a tattoo, how many guys know there's certain tattoos you might regret? But, but the, the Hebrew words of Deuteronomy 6, here is Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Those are words that should last, not just on our arms, but in our hearts. You are responsible to love God. Everybody say responsible. This is not when the music hits me the right way and when it's convenient. This is not when I'm on vacation, it, it isn't as easy to do this. This is not, I, I don't feel like it. Listen, you are responsible to take the all that God gave you and to love God with all your heart. All your, why did God give us a heart? And why is there an all that can be measured? Because it belongs to the Lord. The same thing is true of our soul and our mind and our strength. So here's, here's the question. Are you taking responsibility how many guys know if you're going to put responsibility anywhere, workout routine, a budget, um, you know, your business, like this is a great place to start. This is, the, this is the thing that touches all other things. This is the spot where the glory comes out. This is the root that produces the fruit. This is the, all the other Christian acronym rhymes, okay? This is a huge deal. Are you being responsible? So did you go to church today and say, I'm here at the place of the time to do this stuff because that's what's required of me? Or... Did you go to the ecclesia today, the corporate gathering of those who've heard the voice of the master saying, come out and walk into and say, the only thing better than loving God alone is loving God as a family of redeemed children. You see the difference? And what's funny, and please hear my heart, I wouldn't know the difference. I wouldn't know who sits in the back row or stands in the front and worships to what level in the eyes of God. I mean, the scriptures are full of people that thought, I mean, they were in the front row when they were doing their thing. And by the, that's not saying people that stand in the front row are making a mistake. I, I'm just saying I don't know who, what's going on inside of any man, and neither do you. Only God knows. There's a guy at the front row saying, I thank you, God, that I fast and I pray and I tithe and I'm such a good man. And there's this tax collector in the back. As Jesus tells the story, he's beating his breast, looking down, came looking up to heaven and goes, God, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus says, one of those guys left in the right standing with God. One of them didn't. He said, this is why the prostitutes are pushing in front of the Pharisees, getting into the kingdom before they do because they think they're okay. And the prostitutes realize they need a merciful God, and they cry out to the merciful God who forgives them of their sins, right? Did you go to Ecclesia today? Did you gather because it's the time to do the stuff at the place with the people because that's what our tradition 
is. Or did you say my heart longs to worship with the redeemed? And I choose, as God has led me, as God has, you know, filled me, as God has given me something, I choose to love the Lord and this corporate body for this season. Second question, we're responsible to love people. First one was easy compared to this one. I think that's why we, we always, you know, the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, Jesus says, is like this. I think the acid test of the first one is the proof, the fruit of the second one. We've talked about this quite a bit in the last year or so, but there's, there's this understanding, how would I know if you're loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And the evidence of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is that in that presence, your heart, soul, mind, and strength has been transformed, and you'll be like God when you run into people. One, yeah, just a really kind of a deer in the headlights silence the rest of it. Like, can we preach about anything today, please? Loving my neighbor. So did you walk in today saying, okay, Kirch, it's time to do your thing so I can get back to mine? Or did you walk in saying, okay, Ecclesia, who has a need that God has blessed me to be a blessing for? And who has a blessing or a comfort or wisdom that I need? If we walk in every day saying iron sharpens iron, and I, I just can't, I mean, I'm dull, I'm rusty in places, I'm finding people. I, I mentioned uh, to men's ministry the other day that I, uh, I started writing my first fictional novel based on the series Orphans to Heirs about a little boy named Gray, and I was loving it. Uh, Gray is adopted by a king, and the king is teaching him how to be his son and, and the eventual heir of a kingdom. And it's, I was having so much fun with it. I sent it off. I was life coaching a, a guy that owns a publishing company. And I said, I, don't pay me. I just want to trade you because there's no taxes involved in trading. So edit my book. And so he sent, I sent, I'm going to send it to my best editor. She eviscerated the book. She tore it into a million pieces. She used sarcastic language. She was disgusted by it. It felt like high school again. I haven't picked up the novel since. I set it down in September. I haven't picked it up since. I, I don't know how to get my soul back to that place. Now, you say, I mean, guys, a little pity. Come on. Oh, I should tell the story before the offering. They might have given more. You know, I'm in the arms of the angels for just $20 a month. You two can help a starving author shivering in a cage. And I can't tell you the number of men from that night that have reached out to me to say, we need to talk about that. Because God puts books inside of people, and there's a message from that that everybody needs, and don't let. And, I, and this week, actually, I'm meeting with Chuck Koba, who just said, hey, I just want to encourage you. So I said, listen, I, everybody's encouraging, but I'm, not, I'm still not writing, and I'm really busy, but I'm still not writing. So he said, I got the week off. Let me leave everything and everyone that, that I'm taking a week off to be with, and let's go take a walk, and we're going to get your soul back on track. How many of you guys know we need each other? I'm Chuck's pastor, but not on that day. On that day, Chuck will be my pastor. We walk in here saying, I need, I need, or I have, I have. Something beautiful can happen in the transaction. When we learn to trust each other, we learn to be transparent with one another. So I'll ask you the question, loving people, are you taking responsibility for the people that you're sitting around, sitting next to, that you live with, that live in your community? Are you taking responsibility for people that don't attend this church, but there's only one church everywhere you go, right? It's not, it's not like this is the church and the one down the street's less than, and that one's greater, we're hoping to be like that church, and that one's less than, we hope we never go back to being that. Wherever believers gather, that is the church that Jesus is building, right? So are you taking responsibility? Are we, are we looking at this like we're season ticket holders to the Pistons, where we sit in the same place and we buy the same hot dog and it costs about the same amount, and if, but there's something else, there's a movie that just came out, we'll skip the game and go to something else. I mean, is that what our commitment level is here? Hear me, guys, because did you walk in the day saying, okay, Kurt, it's time to do your thing so I get back to mine? Are you walking in your day saying, God has put things in me and there are needs in my life that other people I know, I know have the answers to. 
Iron cannot sharpen iron without contact. And I, can I just take 30 seconds, look in this camera, live stream this camera. You ready? I love that you're watching live stream today, wherever you are. But if you're not a part of a Christian community that knows who you are, you're missing one of the greatest attributes of the ecclesia. It's, it's not just about hearing a message. It's not just about enjoying a certain type of thing. I'm talking to Dan Abel, who's in Florida right now on the beach. I'm talking to my mom and dad in Florida in Spring Hill. I'm talking to Scott and Carol Rowley over in Eastern Europe. I'm talking to all of us. This is good. We need teaching time. But good becomes great when the rows become circles. When what we hear, what it inspires us now is applied. Inspiration, application, and perspiration. That's what Jesus does. We're inspired, we apply, and if we're inspired and apply, but then we go through the test, if we don't have people to encourage us in the test, we more often than not fail. I know I'm preaching along on this point, and I do not care. I know Cal's at the piano, and I know you hope I'm landing the plane. I do not care. I know that the big numbers that were white, that tell me how much time I have left, are now twice as big and red. I do not care. Hear me. I know that Kevin Walker's going to say, one hour service, huh? It's always an hour and five, hour and ten. You know, I know that. I don't care. Hear me. And hear this. We've got a summer coming up. Believe it or not, sometime in the next six months, it's going to get warm. You can garden alone or you can garden with a friend. You can bike alone or you can bike with a friend. You can run alone. You can run with them. You can shop alone. But, or you can go on vacation alone or go with a friend. I believe one of the greatest things we miss when we get inspiration and we even try application is when we go through perspiration, we need the body of Christ. We can't be a severed thumb and say we're a part of anything. We can't be a severed ear and say we hear for anyone else but ourselves. We're responsible to love to serve. And I'll just stop it here. Are you taking responsibility to use what God gave you to bring heaven to earth, to pray for the sick, to, to teach what you know, to love those who without your love will believe lies much more readily than if you speak truth by your actions? end of their life. Did you go to Kirch and say, someone should do something about this? Or did you go to Ecclesia and say, what can I do today to help my fellow believers and the people of a lost world? God has created an environment for all of this. God has created uh, family. God has created community. But I think the greatest instrument of God bringing the, the, the kingdom of heaven to earth is called the church. And when Jesus said, I will build my, my ecclesia, he really, and you know, this is not talking about a building, and I, I hope you're getting this somehow. The building's cool, but this empty building someday will be torn down because it will no longer, it'll leak too bad. It'll be too expensive to maintain. The culture will change. We used it as a strip mall. It was a warehouse for the auto industry. Sooner, this, this building's going to come and go, but the ecclesia is an eternal thing. Jesus doesn't build buildings. He builds eternity in the hearts of men. Stand your feet, please, all over this room. Part two of part of four parts is done. We had to review a lot today and went a little bit longer than I wanted to. But I hope that you're hearing the heartbeat of this. Do not go to Kirch. Be transformed into the ecclesia. And it's it's responsibility. I get so busy, I neglect things that are so important. I neglect my health. I neglect friendships. I, 
I neglect prayer, I neglect the word, I neglect God because I'm so busy selling a house and buying a house and planting churches. And I stand over there in worship this morning. I felt like the Lord said, hey, remember me? It's like, yeah, it's been a while. I mean, I read every day. I study every day. My mind's doing fine. But there was something about this morning I got frustrated because something was happening a different way than it should have. And I was trying to, and I couldn't reach it. And, I'm just, and I found it's like, boy, I'm getting really fleshy really fast. It's like, oh, I'm tired. I, I neglected Sabbath. And I, and I realized that this morning. So guess what I need to do this next week? Move. So come and help. Amen. You know? Yeah, I need to rest. I need to find time. I need to make a priority. I need to take the responsibility to rest. Because if I'm not rested, I can't take the responsibility of loving God very well, loving you very well, loving outside these walls very well. And that's just one example. What, what's your example? What are you so stressed out about you can't even pray anymore? What's... When you do have time alone and you're in the shower and you're washing your hair, what, what are you thinking? What are you singing? What are you, what are you dwelling on? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that you were created to do. And when you take responsibility, the satisfaction that can only come from loving God and knowing that you're loving God, loving your neighbor and knowing you're loving your neighbor, and fulfilling your destiny. There's a joy on the other side of responsibility that is so much better than the world's freedom. Close your eyes. Father, I pray all over this room today you would lead us to see that responsibility, that the R word is a really wonderful word. It's a really great gift. It's a beautiful plan. I ask God today you would reinvigorate things that have gone by the wayside, that you would call us back into what we've walked away from let us hear your voice, God. And as you lead us, help us to respond and say yes. Overwork, under rest, over this, under that. So it's, this world is so unfair. There's such a, a prominent imbalance that to be normal is to be absolutely twisted and sick and evil. So I pray, God, help us not to look at the latest and greatest self-help book to try to figure this out. Help us to look at the mountains from whence cometh our help. My help comes from the Lord, David said, creator of heaven and earth. If you know how to do that, you know how to do this. Help our hearts to be attentive. If, listen, if you're not right with God right now, none of this works unless the first thing is made first, and that's to love God. All your heart, even if it's broken, all your soul, even if it's not mature, all your spirit, even if it's lost, all your strength, even if you don't have much of it. By giving him our all, placing in his hands and saying, I'll trade you your glorious, sinless life, for the one that I live that needs so much mercy that I, I hope you are who you say you are. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe he lived the sinless life, died in your place, took the punishment for you, paid the bill you ran up, if you believe that he defeated death, hell, and the grave, during that three-day time he wasn't a decaying corpse, he was a conquering king. And when he defeated death, hell, and the grave, having the keys of that kingdom. He, he takes them now. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. And just this day, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of the living God, has cried out your name. He's prayed for you by name in the presence of the Father and the angels. If you believe that, then would you answer his prayer right now and say, I need you. I need your mercy. I need your love. I need your forgiveness. I need your self-control. I need your peace. I need your patience. I need your kindness. I, I need you and everything that comes with you from relationship, not from tradition, 
from who you are, not from thousands of years of people telling me what you've done, but who you, what you've done in me, what your word declares you will do for anyone who asks, God, do that for me today. Do that for me today. Altar workers, would you move forward, please, at this time? Listen, there's a ministry of prayer that is available to every person here. It doesn't matter if your first visit. It doesn't matter if you're a, a, a staff pastor. If God wants to touch your heart right now, that is more important than what else you're about to do. You need someone to pray with you for breakthrough. You need someone to listen. Uh, they're not counselors, but sometimes in prayer, God gives you counsel that's well beyond, you know, the knowledge that, that can come out of, of other things. I, I urge you, I, just the side of begging you, don't leave here with the same issues you walked in with. If God didn't lift those burdens during worship, if God hasn't spoken to you clear direction, if you don't feel free, if you don't believe then there's people waiting here to minister to you. They're an extension of the pastoral ministry. They're, they're run and, and overseen by a brilliant couple that's been doing this since about the time I was born, probably. And uh, when I need prayer, these are the people I ask for prayer. So, Father, I ask you to bless. I ask you to give us courage and faith to trust. I pray that you would make us the ecclesia of God. The next two weeks, we've got two weeks to wrap up an eternal thought. So, God, please. Speak to our hearts this week. Get us, get us ahead of the game instead of behind the game now, God. Help us to see it. Help us to know it. Help us to believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Prayer this way. Get your kids that way. Hang out with me and eat donuts that way. All right. Live long and prosper. God bless you. We'll see you soon.